0: Welcome to the Fearless Sellers, the Women of Amazon podcast. I'm Joey Roberts.
1: As forward, Amazon really democratized this space by opening up their API. And pretty soon there were like 40 tools in the Amazon PPC space, as you probably know. Um, And it was anything from like very, you know, helping small sellers to helping enterprise brands with their business. Melissa Burdick. Welcome to the Fearless
0: Sellers, the Women of Amazon podcast. You are a perfect example of fearless. As a former employee of Amazon, you know how sellers can win. And now you're the co-founder and president of the software company, PacView. You survived cancer. You are a tough mama with two kids. I am honored to have you on today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here.
0: We appreciate it. So, working for Amazon for a full decade, you managed brands to help them launch and grow sales. Tell us about this experience.
1: Yeah, I mean it was it was such a different experience because I started in two thousand five at Amazon and I helped launch the health and beauty store. And back then, Amazon it was nowhere near what they are today. I literally, when I went to trade shows, I literally had to change my name badge backwards because nobody wanted to talk to Amazon. Um, Because they were so small. It was a bookseller. Nobody really knew it as the place it was today. So it was a totally different. um, It was wild, wild west. It literally was because it was the start of like creating all the relationships with the brands. Um, When I got to Amazon, they were actually drop shipping um, all their health and beauty products through a partner. They didn't have any direct relationships in their leveraging marketplace. So it it was very early days. um, Our drop test to be able to figure out if we could sell things was to literally hold it out by our uh, waist and drop it. And if it broke, we didn't want it. That was our drop test.
0: (laughs) Um, I might re implement that with my coaching students and be like, drop it as if you're a FedEx driver and see if it breaks. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's funny. That's really interesting. So then over the years, Amazon evolved from selling books and found their path to obviously becoming a massive platform that they are today. Um, Any brand stories of memories or anything that stands out during those growth periods?
1: I mean, there's so many stories. When we first started the category the strategy changed every year. So it was like a pendulum was swinging. It was, how do we be profitable? How do we shift tubes of toothpaste properly pro- across the, the country? So we'd start out by selling eaches of individual toothpastes, but then soon quickly realized that you can't make money doing that. So then we'd sell like case packs, like 24, you know, pack of toothpaste. So try telling Arm & Hammer they should sell on Amazon. And there's lots of consumers, individual consumers that want to buy 24 Um, you know, pieces of toothpaste. And that was just trying to get the ASP, the average selling price, up to a place where you could actually make money. Um, Another kind of funny story was that, and this was, you know, there weren't a lot of people like you educating people on how to sell. Um, But I remember this, this lady who had launched in her beauty brand on Amazon. And she was convinced that there were all these competitors coming in writing negative reviews about her. And so I had a meeting with her and I, I hadn't scheduled office space. So I decided to have her meeting in our buyer's office with all the other buyers around me. And she literally for an hour proceeded to pretty much yell at a high volume rate at me to take the reviews off you know, her, her product detail page. That This is a person that was just trying to sabotage her. And I just had to keep explaining that as a vendor manager, I literally had zero power to do that because of the Amazon rules. Um, but she just felt so passionate about her product and that someone was coming in to sabotage her, which, you know, this happens all the time. But, you know, she, she really thought that I had the ability and I could go into my little tools and pull it down. And as you know, that's just really not how it works, but um, everyone got to hear all about it. So it was pretty funny.
0: I can totally picture that. In my early days in marketing, And when I worked um, in-house, there were definitely uh, moments where on any platform we were selling on or even social media platforms where I remember people didn't completely understand that those are just platforms that we're selling on. And it is really there to protect the buyers and the sellers. And we don't alter information. But I have also been yelled at for, hey, take down this review or make that happen because you they feel entitled like they own a piece of it like they actually own it so it's as a seller now i always try to remind people like hey we're we're just blessed that we are allowed to sell on amazon but if amazon were to kick you off or like you're talking about you get those one star reviews like those are learning opportunities for the consumer you don't go and blame amazon and scream and yell so um, that's a, a, a very real story that I can totally relate to.
1: Yeah, I had this wild story. I I launched the fragrance business on Amazon. And as you can imagine, not much of it was direct. Uh, but I had this this other fragrance kind of distributor come in. He'd hired a private investigator and had tracked why the prices were so low in the fragrance category. And it was, it was like, you know, people were there ain't money. And it was it was is a really wild story. And he had all these documents that he presented to me. But it, I mean, I'm, there's there's a lot of stories like that. That's that's wild.
0: And you're like, thank you for giving me so much power to think that I like can just change all this just for your brand. That's a lot of responsibility. Um, not that you were super young then, but you were young. Amazon was young and it was I remember 2005 to 2015. Everybody was launching. It was like, that's when Instagram came out. Uh, I know Pinterest launched then. And every tech company kind of had this attitude of, well, we're just going to figure out what we're doing and we're going to make quick adjustments because we need to make money, but we don't know how to be profitable yet.
1: Yeah. And the other, a lot of challenges in that health and beauty space was the whole Amazon platform was built for books. And so in the health and beauty category, think of like laundry detergent. What was happening was, caps were in you know nobody was designing for online so they weren't securing caps and what was happening would be shipments would go out and the laundry sure detergent leak all over people's packages including everything that was in it and so we get all this negative feedback coming back to talk about you know pictures of like leaked um packages and and we'd have to reimburse customers and so there was like a huge movement towards designing for online And how you convince Procter and Gamble, you know, big brand who's not selling much in e-commerce to secure their caps. Um, It was, you know, like these are the kind of conversations we were having. And that's where I feel like sellers really got it. Like that's where they were able to be really nimble. And they were able to create products really quickly and create the right products for e-commerce. And they were starting online versus the bigger brands that were starting offline. And so sellers had such a good kind of niche or nimble way that they could create and they were able to become big um, and I think it's very different now because the brand, the bigger brands have caught up and it's more important to them e-commerce is, especially with COVID so it's got a lot more competitive uh, in that space but early days the sellers especially the Sally ones probably like you were able to really figure out the Amazon playbook and they would be able to kind of figure out how to get on page one quickly without that was even before advertising existed and so that's that was really just you know the playbook then very different than today but that was where sellers had such this great advantage uh, and really were able to come out and win and you could win
0: easily especially when another seller got A one or two star review for something so simple like hey your laundry detergent spilled everywhere it's like oh hey i know how to seal this now i can get ahead of them because their ratings are down and there was very easy ways to just jump ahead if you paid attention to reviews and product innovation which i will say still applies today like but you do have to be a lot more innovative than okay i'm going to make sure this ships properly Um, And more customer service focus, like people aren't super loyal to brands. And if you mess up once, then they're just going to switch to your competing brand. So you do have to care a lot now. And now that I brought the conversation back to today, what about tools? Because what we're you just called it the wild, wild west. I was kind of calling it like the Stone Age of Amazon. And. Now we have a big plethora of tools to dig into. I mean, there's, there's a tool almost for everything, and you can get overwhelmed with tools today. But it was complete opposite when most sellers uh, back then when you were at Amazon were launching. So what was that that like, not having the tools looking back today?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I spent five years on the retail side of the business at Amazon. And then I spent five years on the advertising um, side of the business. And then I when I left in 2015 from Amazon, I actually built my own agency called Day One Digital after the Amazon kind of like day one mentality. And I was helping brands and sellers be successful at advertising. And it literally was using the ad console going in, changing a bid by, you know, a couple of cents and like, you're done. There were no tools. It was very, um, I don't know, I like to say Mickey Mouse, like very manual. And I remember getting an RFP, a request for proposal for a brand to work on their business. And one of the line items said, do you have the API? And I was like, ah, oh, interesting. They're actually like, that was like a pretty savvy question because they're trying to weed out people, um, to work on their business and they wanted people that were really connected with Amazon. They knew that the only way to get the API was to work directly with Amazon. And when they said, do you have the API? I didn't at the time. I was like, oh, I need to go get that. And so I was able to leverage my relationships having worked there 10 years. uh, And I was one of the early people to be able to get the API. But at the time, um, back then, there was really no tools in the space. It was very white paper. Uh, and it was it was early days of uh, this tool thing. But then fast forward, Amazon really democratized the space by opening up their API. And pretty soon there were like 40 tools in <laughs> Amazon PPC space, as you probably know. Um, and it was anything from like very, you know, helping small sellers to helping enterprise brands with their business.
0: Yeah. And let's touch on the API First, tell listeners, just in case they don't know, what what is the API?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. So basically, it's a programmatic way to access Amazon's data. And you can only get it through applying to get it from them. There's an approval process. Uh, Otherwise, the only way you can get data is through, like, just downloading it through Seller Central or Vendor Central just manually. Um, There is this, you know, kind of systematic way to get the data. And if you do it manually, as you know, like, Amazon changes a column. And then all your spreadsheets are off. Um, this is a way to like actually get the data programmatically so you can build technology and tools on top of it. So that changes just happen automatically. And it's it's really, we've, we've um, I built a comp- the, my company PathView, um, but what we did was we, we created the, uh, a tool suite that sits on top of Amazon's APIs so that we can call those APIs, feed it automatically and make changes um, in an automated way
0: and me as a seller i'm always looking for the api tool that i can trust that is pulling data constantly from amazon how does that work i mean does one tool get to pull more than another tool or is it like you're in the api so we all get to pull on fridays
1: Yeah, it's all, I mean, there's, Amazon has a partner program. Um, Once you get the API, there's now the the thing is that there's a lot of APIs. There's some APIs that are, and what's kind of nice about our company is that we have access to the seller APIs, the the vendor APIs, um, but you basically can, uh, you know, like, as you know, with Amazon, there's kind of vendor central, there's seller central, and there's the ad console. And they're all kind of the native tools when you log in. They're all different tools. What we've been able to do through getting APIs for all of them is be able to integrate everything into one place, into the Packview platform, um, leveraging those APIs that just have, you know, constant calls and refreshes. But the it's it's all consistent. So if someone says like, oh, I have the API and I can pull it minutes every day, like it's all the same API and the same consistency. Um, so that's that's that
0: okay that makes sense so when you were doing day one marketing and now you have the api and a few others have it that was why you need to race to figure out exactly what your software is going to do to help sellers to be able to win in the market so i know you were with that api access as one of the first to have it you were able to go to market very quickly
1: yeah. Well, um, I knew the business side of, of Amazon, but really I met my partner, Wei, and he knew the technical and development side. And I, I think that's one of the questions sellers often ask. I see, I see it posted in a lot of forums. Should I get a partner? Should I, um, should I go on my own? And I see a lot of people talk about don't get a partner, um, you know, hire an employee. In my case, I am not an expert in software development. So um, when I got the API, great. But I can't go and build a team in China and help developers and and I mean product management and building technology. It's a very different skill set. Uh, and so really, for me, having a partner was critical because Xiaowei, uh, my partner, has built software companies before. He actually built um, Microsoft Ad Center, and he literally built the Excel Pivot Table at Microsoft, like the engine for that. I and mean, he is like legit, real deal, knows technology, knows development. Um, he had built a company, sold it, and had kind of an infrastructure built out in China with very efficient developers that really need the app space. And so when I got the API, I met him. Um, we had dinner together. And By the end of that dinner, it was, he's gonna go build out the development and tech team. I will, and I call it like back of the house and I would do front of the house. So I'm at a restaurant. So I was able to get the, I had all the relationships. I was able to get the APIs. I knew the brands because I'd launched them all on Amazon. Um, And so I was able to bring the demand of the client, the customer base. And he was able to actually develop the product because that stuff's hard. And I remember sitting at an ad conference actually at Amazon and like literally designing on a piece of paper. One of my pain points building my agency was, what are all the 50,000 things that happen to you in a day? Like to explain sales. So like um, my sales are up or they're down. What happened? Is it, you know, my competitor came in? Is it because there was a promotion? Is it, I mean, like back then, there was no tools to kind of automatically tell you, like, these are things that happen. So I remember designing on a piece of paper, kind of a calendar that said, here on this day, this happened, on this day that happened. And I took a screenshot with my phone. I sent it to Jaoui and literally a week later, it's in the tool. Wow. So that's how you know, quick. It's like, imagine, like, you know, I'm with this. And, like, it it appears. And they actually do it. That's a great test
0: for a partner. Like, hey, I'm going to give you this uh magical wish list and don't say anything. And then they turn around and it's like, poof. And you're like, yes, okay, I will sign the papers.
1: I think I think that that's really what's impressed our, our clients because we have this really quick iterative feedback feedback process where we get clients and they give us feedback and like a week later their feedback would be integrated in the tool and they'd be like whoa (laughs) you know like that's pretty amazing yeah people want to feel like
0: they're being listened to and on that topic of partners obviously partners you want to feel you're being listened to but also as selling but on the topic of partners um it's awesome that you feel like you kind of hit the partner jackpot Because, to your point, I do get asked that question all the time. Should I have a partner? And I've had several partners in the past, one which was my sister and love her to death. It's just we had different visions and I wanted her to, you know, build the Amazon business with me. Ended up she had other plans for her life. So that happens. And then I had another partner where right when the money started coming in, just realized that I made the mistake with the partner. And it made me feel like I'm never going to partner with anybody again. And partnerships and relationships, as you've been touching on, are so important to build your business. So I had to shift my mindset around that and say, no, this is the mistakes that I made with that partnership. And my next partnership is going to be kind of some something similar that you have with um joe way is your skill sets complement each other and there is a clear line of who does what and it's somebody you trust and you have to like them like at the end of the day you really do need to like your partner and i did take on another partner right jamie davidson and i are partners in the coaching program and we have some cool stuff coming ahead but we also have our own individual stuff so we're not stepping on it right like i have the fearless sellers podcast and he has his ai so you really have to respect boundaries also as a partner that could actually be a book maybe you and i should write a book on partnership boundaries together let's let's
1: file that (laughs) i i think that family thing is really interesting because my husband has like a situation like that where he would never go into business with his family just because of the relationship so like The family dynamic—it's sometimes like, you know, it's that's tough. But to your point, what I love about the partnership that I have, and I've I've had other businesses—it's the complementary skill set. We have totally separate swim lanes, like very well defined. Um, And you know what I love about the seller community—you have all this help. Uh, How do I do this? How do I do that? There is a lot of help in the like founder space, but. I just, I didn't feel like I had, I actually never had a mentor and I, I that that I think is maybe in the state, but um, just things were happening so fast for us. It was, <laughs> it was tough to even um, hold on to, it was like a roller, you know, like a racetrack uh, and we were super successful. So it wasn't um, super needed, but you know, I think you always having a mentor, having a community, having something to rely on is critical. And then having a partner that is complementary to you where, where you have your own swim lanes, uh, that's also important. Yes, and and
0: the energy of we're both putting in everything we can into the business, and it's not oh well hey I've been doing X Y and Z and um you know you're at your sister's fiftieth birthday party it's like that's not that's not a, a good partner right like you have to respect each other's boundaries and trust that everybody is working towards the same goal and giving a hundred percent all the time. And I think that was part of what scared me also of taking on partners again is because my output, very similar to you, my output is very high. Like I can handle a lot. I I push out external distractions in my life so that I can hit my goals. And I've always been wired like that since I was little. I was um I was an elite gymnast, which is an individual sport. So I was working used to working hard on my own path and I think that applies now and you kind of touched on that like with partnerships that really made me think about it it's like knowing we're all all giving did you do sports growing up
1: I I did dance um I wasn't but I I as I was really competitive in school Um, I could see that. that that's kind of the um similar to you but yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's true. You you kind of want to look for a partner that has competed somehow against people, so that they're doing their individual best, but they also learn to work on a team. Um, yeah, very cool. Well, um, big shout out to both of our business partners. So glad we're both in in uh, solid, good partnerships. <laughs> You're listening to the Fearless Sellers, the women of Amazon podcast. If you like what you're hearing, click the subscribe button. We have new content coming out all the time and you don't want to miss out. So let's talk about winning. And with your partner and with your knowledge from Amazon, you kind of set yourself up for success for you to win, but also for the brands that you are helping to win. And you're still helping brands win. What is winning to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the playbook that, and I'm, I'm as I look back about our business, it was a very unique thing. I mean, a lot, some of it was luck, timing, uh, having the right partner. But you know, I started with a really great advantage, which was my strength, which was my relationships. Having launched, you know, the health and beauty store on Amazon, having all those relationships with customers and potential clients. Um, having been in the ads business early, I actually created a lot of the ad products that we use today. So I had a lot of credibility when I talked to people. And so I started almost like a consulting business. And some of those brands are still our customers today. So having the credibility, the immediate credibility, having worked at Amazon 10 years back then, not a lot of people had worked at Amazon 10 years. Now there's a lot of people that have worked in Amazon 10 years. But Um, So I had like immediate credibility, having the right partner, having the right product market fit. I mean, when I think about kind of starting a new business today, a software business, it's like, what would you create? I mean, AI is changing everything. So it's kind of hard to even think about what two years from now it's going to look like. But getting the API, knowing exactly what to build. We had a product in market within six to eight months, which is insane. I mean, that's just such a quick turnaround. And it was because my expertise of having the relationships and then Jiao Wei's expertise of having built ad technology before it was just this perfect match um and then this api that magically you know kind of democratizes the space and we're able to quickly build one of the things that we we did part of our playbook was we we stayed six to 12 months ahead of our competition so there's you know 40 tools in this space they're all popping up but not a lot of them had that duo that kind of killer duo between jowey and i of being able to really understand the cars really understand building technology having an efficient team um you know we had access to very cost-effective efficient developers in china jowey had just built another company and sold it so he instead of building that team kind of like in a very popular city where there's a lot of jobs, he kind of decided to build it in a city that was ancillary so that there was a lot of stability with the developer. So that was kind of one of the things that he did, um, was kind of build in some of those cities, like Wuxi, where we have a big dev center. And that was one of the learnings that he'd had um, from one of his previous companies. But there's also this just very quick iterative development process. I remember one of these customers... Um, Someone we worked with in Seattle or headquartered in Seattle, Um, but he came with like 100 line items in Excel of things he wanted to change. And literally, that was like some of our early feedback things. We had had this terrible office in Bellevue. It had popcorn ceiling that probably has asbestos in it. (laughs) And to that office and gave us 100 line items of like, change these things. So we had a lot of savvy early users that were very experienced in e-commerce, but didn't have like That person where you could just draw on a piece of paper, go build me this, and a week later, it's in there. So that was kind of the magic that we were able to do. And so just kind of all those things, we had this right, you know, completely right idea, very quickly come to market with this software product. And within, you know, like six to eight months, we had our first paying customers. And it was just kind of like this explosion from then and then in 2020 what happened with covid i mean covid accelerated us as probably did with a lot of sellers but every all the other retailers like walmart instacart target kroger took a page out of amazon's playbook and they all launched um advertising self-service kind of programs just like amazon did Um, less specific to sellers because sellers really work on amazon maybe now they're trying to start thinking about walmart But there's this explosion of all these APIs and the brands wanted to have kind of all the retail media platforms in one place. And we were able to kind of really extend our products. So not just on Amazon, where we kind of extended to all the countries, so 20 plus countries, but then also 30 plus retailers. And then now we have kind of created multiple products. And we went from like one product, which was Amazon U.S., to all the countries that Amazon supports with their API, which is like 20 plus countries, um, to all of these retailers. And then we're building can, more sales operation products and data insight tools.
0: Wow. This is an incredible story. It was a right product with market fit basically immediately. I mean, that is very rare. And then you took it and you scaled globally. And this was all um, kind of in a short time. And uh, I do want you to kind of tell the listeners what Packview is. But before you kind of give that overview, what I'm hearing is you had this explosive growth. And when I hear explosive growth, that sounds very expensive as a business owner. And how did you tackle that? Like you have to hire more people. Um,
1: What was the approach? So the beauty about software is that especially software as a service is that it's super scalable. Um, you need so the expensive or the expenses are customer support. So you need people that can answer questions and help with training. Mm-hmm. Um, we had access to really cheap um, development resources, which were all offshore, but were very experienced at former Amazonians, former Alibaba, former Microsoft. So like people that were really experienced, but you know relatively lower costs than U.S. prices um, so the, the way that you know, like unlike products it's it's a lot less kind of capital intensive and unlike other businesses we actually bootstrapped the whole company between Joway and I um, we didn't take on any funding so usually people go to you know venture capital or private equity or something like that but we kind of were in a good spot where we were able to kind of get this software business off the ground pretty cheaply and efficiently um, without having to take on money. And unlike like the capital costs of like inventory and all that kind of stuff, you know, software scales really well. So being able to get a new country is really just about adopting a new API or like kind of really just a little bit of code. It's not like people um, as much, you know, you need the developer, software developer to do it, but um, it scales really well. And how many employees do you have now? So um, we so we were acquired uh, a year and a half ago, and I think as a total company we have about seven hundred employees.
0: Okay, that's that's still a lot of overhead, right? So, um, to grow
1: from. When did you launch this? We launched at January first, twenty eighteen. And our okay. first year, we were maybe break even maybe a little bit under but we were profitable from year two on
0: I am so impressed and what I am hearing as somebody who you know would like to grow a software business or you know it's very inspirational to me but to grow from 2018 bootstrapping with you and Joey to almost 700 employees today someone's got to be really good at hiring
1: (laughs) yeah I mean, the the hiring part, I think building teams, and that's, you know, pre-COVID and post-COVID is very different. Um, but pre-COVID, one of our challenges, especially as a new business where we had no name and nobody knew us, um, we had to really, there were a couple of things that we needed to do. One was we had to, people had to believe in Xiaowei and I, like as the founders, they had to buy into our vision. They had to believe in us as our, the ability to like create a company. And one of the challenges with the Seattle market is we've got Amazon, we've got Google, we've got Facebook, we've got all these high-tech companies that pay really high salaries. And this was pre-layoffs, like back in 2018, 2019, when, you know, employees had a lot of good options and places that paid a lot more money than we did, frankly, in stock that, I mean, even though we gave stock, like you're a no-name company, who who knew that you're going to actually create something amazing? So... You know really having to recruit passionate people like us like xiawei i think xiawei and i we were just so passionate about what we were building um and people when they saw we would show them kind of like our tool and a lot of people we hire were former amazonians and they understood the space and when they saw what we were building they were like wow that's amazing i could sell this my client my people i work with would want to use this so they they bought into our vision and they bought into us and i think one of the things when i when i interview people the number one trait and characteristic I look for is passion. Because I think to your point, when like you're working a lot, right? Like you're working at night, you're, you're doing things. And when I first was the you know health and beauty buyer at Amazon, I worked a lot because I was so passionate. Like I'd just be on my computer at night answering people's emails because I loved it. It was just like living and breathing the space that you had passion. If you, if you love it, if you have passion over it, I think you'll be successful. And so that's really one of the characteristics. And if you, if you see things that our team posts on LinkedIn, you can probably tell, like, we have a team of expert, that expert people who are passionate. And that's, it's pretty infectious. And then that attracts other people. People's friends want to work there. People, you know, like, I remember we'd be on calls with Amazon and they'd be like, oh, can I, can I work with you guys? Like, like that's, that's kind of the infectious, you know, um, place that the ecosystem that we kind of built to pack
0: you I'm blown away. So big congratulations. I think that's super cool. And thank you for sharing the challenges with being based in Seattle and everybody does like to go work for the big companies. So it's very impressive that you were able to build this strong team scale so quickly and have everybody backing your vision. So um, yeah, I hope when you you know are thankful for stuff that You know that that is just so impressive, and I'm proud of you for that. Now, switching over to when you were working at Amazon, you and your kids, well, your kids were two and four at the time, right? And you were working a lot, and then you found out that you had cancer, and it's been, what, maybe over 10 years since then? Yeah, 10 years. Wow. Wow. So breast cancer with a two and a four-year-old, I mean, that kind of hurts my heart because I have a five-year-old. So just when you were, you've were you told me that story as a mom and somebody who works a lot, like, like I just, you know, I feel for the past you 10 years ago and, um, you know, I know you're doing well now, but can you tell me about that transition and how you just kept pushing forward to continue building out um, software? Yeah.
1: Um, well, my, my message to if, if anyone is listening to this, um, yeah. you know, anyone that has been affected by cancer, your mom, your dad, your family, like everyone has been touched by this. Um, and you kind of think like, oh, that can't be me. Um, but, you know, I was super healthy. I think I'd been to the doctor twice for my kids, maybe once when I broke my bone when I was a little kid. But I was kind of the picture of health, um, ate healthy, all that kind of stuff. And one minute I'm, you know, walking around totally healthy and just like super busy, as you said, and I had my kids were two and four. It was just like a race to do everything. You know, you're CEO of your household, you're building your company, you're managing your kids. Like, you know, this is the, this is the story that all your listeners probably are living today, right? Like, it's just a very busy time of your life. You're trying to balance it all. And the one thing I didn't do is you know, but my doctor's appointment that year. So I missed it. But um I was lucky enough and we talked about being competitive and probably type A like a lot of people. I felt like this small lump in my breast and I was like, oh I'll go get check get this checked out the very next day. Um and, you know, come to find out I had this really, really aggressive breast cancer. I was 37. Kids were two and four. Um mm-hmm. And it was genetic, so I had no idea that I was basically a walking time bomb. And I, um, kind of a fun story too, my husband is a data scientist, he like researched my disease, he got the doctors to put me on my own clinical trial one, had such a great outcome that they treat other people like me the same. So number one, don't just, you know, if there's a traditional way people treat cancer, like do research, um, get someone to help, you know, be your advocate. But You know, it took me it took me three years to get back to where I was before breast cancer. I never think I never and what woman would say, I can't wait till I'm 40, but I did say I can't wait till I'm 40 when I like will be back. I'll have my hair back. I'll be back on my feet. But during that time, something that I said to myself was I've always wanted to do my own business. I want to do my own thing. If I can get back to healthy, then I am going to do that. And so that's kind of what gave me the courage. Um, to do that. And and I do a lot of TV interviews. I speak in a lot in front of a lot of audiences and sometimes, you know, that takes a lot of courage. And, you know, people, sometimes people hate public speaking and they sometimes ask me, how do you do it? And to be honest with you, there's nothing worse than going to an all day infusion where you're just chained to a bed and all you're doing is like feeling sick. And so I just think of those times that I have no problem getting in front of doing this podcast. I have no problem getting in front of an audience of 10,000 people. I don't care because nothing is harder than going through um, kind of that time in my life. And so I just think back to before, you know, if I get anxious or anything like that, I just think about that time and I'm not anxious anymore.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah. And you kind of just brought, I'm sure with listeners too, brought back memories to hard times in all of our lives. And that is phenomenal advice is, you know, there's been worse days. You've done harder things. And well, um, thank you for sharing that story with all of us. And it really puts this whole, I don't want to call it a bow, but like a whole 360 view mm-hmm. of you and your ambition and just how fearless you are. And that's why at the beginning I was like, hey, you are fearless. And I've never said that to anybody on the podcast. And I was think, thinking, and I was like, this is so cool. I get to chat with Melissa today. I'm excited for our hour together. I was like, man, you you are inspirational. Like, you are fearless. So I actually have fearless sellers hats. I'm going to mail you one of those. And you're the first ever to get one. So you're my first uh, fearless woman who will get the fearless sellers hat. And again, thank you for sharing that story. And you continue to grow And push forward with a positive attitude. And in 2021, Packview, you and your partner, took on a bigger strategic partner assembly. And that's a very big partner. And it's like you became an overnight enterprise brand. What was that vision of the deal? And
1: how's that going? Yeah. Yeah. So in 2021, my partner and I, uh, you know, there's a lot of consolidation happening in the space, even though we were profitable, um, you know, we could have kept going. We just thought maybe we'll, and we had, we gotten a lot of inbound interest, of course, as many people had. Um, So we decided, you know, let's, let's think about doing a deal. We hired a banker and we went through a whole process and we kind of assessed um, all kinds of offers, everything from strategic partnerships, to private equity deals, and we ultimately wound up with a strategic partner with Assembly who owns Helion 10. And one of the reasons why we liked this partnership was because together, like we, Papu, owned the enterprise market and Helion 10 owned the seller market. And together, whether you're a, you know, a seller just starting out to an enterprise brand that's more mature, we could create the ultimate software suite for you know for everybody. And so there was a really good, just like Xiaowei and I were very complementary, we felt like this was a complementary partnership where we had, you know, like sellers that could scale to maybe become enterprise brands. Um, but together we could really combine our resources and become this like juggernaut, you know, like huge company that basically services the market. And so. Um, that was the vision. And we wound up doing a deal with Assembly that's backed by two private equities, Advent and PSG. So we had just the power of these amazing private equity companies um, to be able to just scale and build more software and build more service offerings in the market. And that's that's who we're at. I, I will say that, like, yeah, I'm sure sellers still this when you do M&A, it's like you become this new company overnight. And it takes just like Xiaowei and I were partners. I mean, it took it took some time for us to like really trust each other and get to know each other. And it's kind of like you and I getting married tomorrow. You know, like you you become part of this new company and you have to like work together and figure and so it's not like, you know, it's building relationships takes time. And so I'm not gonna lie and say like, it's the most glorious thing. Everybody should go out and get bought. Like it, it there it's work. It's not like this. You know, I'm not going to put a bow and tell you rainbows and, um, you know, gold is everywhere because there's, there's real, you know, hard things like integrating, with took us a year to integrate our development team. Um, you know, so like it's, it's not easy, but the end state is that we can do all these great things together. So, and, and, you know, not everyone has the same culture. So how do we build that, you know, a similar culture together? So there's, there's a lot of things with it. I, I will say, like, it's amazing. Now I, you know, like, the seller community I wasn't as familiar with. But now with Alien 10, um you know, Bradley, I get to talk to Bradley every day if I want to. I can Slack them. Be like, Bradley, tell me about this. And so I have access to all these amazing people. Um, So it's great.
0: That is great. And it is fun to give Bradley a hard time. I give him a hard time because we went to uh, rival high schools in San Diego. So I love that you just, gave Bradley and Helium ten a shout out. Uh, So with the integration, I've been through an integration where I was on the smaller team and then the bigger company came in and purchased. And my experience was I was working with the big company and somebody would say, oh, well, this is my job and that's just their job. Like maybe it was a partnership marketing and that was their only job. I was also doing that job along with like four or five other jobs. And so it was very strange, like, okay, now I'm partnering with this person and we kind of do the same job. And um, did you experience any integration issues or I guess, not issues, I guess it's more of like um, duplication,
1: redundancy. I mean, I'm sure the, the difference in our place was that we kind of had two very different ecosystems a seller ecosystem and a you know like a brand ecosystem and so and they're very different ecosystems like the seller market what i'm finding you know more and more every day is just the enterprise market and and seller market are very different marketing to them is different like you don't have facebook groups for the enterprise market you've LinkedIn. like there's there's very different ways um, it's more like actually leveraging our strengths. Um, so it's kind of almost like the opposite of what you just mentioned. Yeah, like, you know, we, we have Cassandra, who's the social media maven. And, you know, at Pathview, we have no idea how to, like, we have no Cassandra. So now she's actually kind of holistically helping us with our social media strategy. So, like, we're actually trying to take what our strengths are and be able to, like, you know, like, uh, 10 great at community we have less of an idea about how to build community at PathQ really. I mean, like, the enterprise market is very different. So, like, how can we take the strengths of one, you know, like, how people work within one market and bring it to the other team? And so that's, that's been our, our you know, opportunity and that was a challenge when say that was right. an opportunity, which is how can we say, like, this group does this really well. How can that person help us do that better? Um, It's kind of the way that we've looked at it and instead of, like, there's duplicative roles. Um, it's more like, how can we, now it's the whole, like, how can we do better together? And that's that's the, you know, like, we we re- actually just rebranded. So, like, Assembly is no longer exists. We're actually all Pacview. The whole company is now Pacview. So, they actually took on our name um, because we wanted to build a brand um, kind of holistically. We still have, Hel- so Helium 10 is our SNV brand and Pacview is our, corporate and enterprise brands. It's kind of confusing, but um, we just had do a whole work and we did a conference together. Where we branded ourselves and it's Pathview and Helion 10 together, kind of like equally. And I think it works really well.
0: And then you basically got married with Assembly and they took your name.
1: I know, the best of the world, right? <laughs> that is awesome. I love that. And let's not forget
0: this is all happening kind of at the the tail end of the pandemic. Yes. So you're challenged with integrating with assembly and helium ten, which I imagine helium ten would be a phenomenal partner. I think the world of them and especially Cassandra. But also you're now building a new culture. Right with everybody, and it's post pandemic. What it what is that like? Kind of a shift in the culture for post pandemic, and now you are kind of recreating everything with a new company and uh, post COVID.
1: I mean, and and also we have an international presence, so we have teams in Moldova, which is like where the Helium ten development center is. We've got teams in China, uh, which is where Pappy's development teams are. We've got New York, Chicago, LA, Seattle. So we were like multi-city, we're multi-country. And so trying to do like one conference call, like an all hands, it has to be like at a certain time of the day. I mean, it's, it's, it, I'm not, this is hard. Like this is really one of the harder things is to bring that culture. In. And when you're small company, when we were smaller at Packy, it's a lot easier because you're smaller, it's easier to kind of have like, Um, smaller gatherings when you become this bigger company that that is hard to scale culture and so you know one of the things I that we implemented early on is what we like to call pappy props or like call outs and it's just this everyday um, kind of what are the wins what are the things that you're doing that's cool and it's it's any and it's being able to give credit to someone for something small it doesn't even have to be big it's like kudos to this person who did an amazing job for this client they love us blah 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 like being able to and i think that brings people together which is like being able to call out people it also helps people understand what they do so like oh i called out this person you know this person in remote place why has no idea what this person does but by their call out they can kind of understand what they're doing so we use slap channels a lot um, within our company and we call out people for good things that they're doing We'd be very transparent with our numbers so people can understand how we're doing as a company, um, things like that. So I think that there's just, you know, like transparency, call outs, um, making people feel, you know, valued, that their work matters. These are all things that uh, I think really helps. And then also, you know, sharing the product vision. Like that's something that we did at Packview early days, which is really trying to get people energized around what we're building and where we're going. And so we just, we're doing a lot of stuff around like AI um, and we've integrated some of the chat stuff and GBT and like when we, our like we reveal these things and some of our product demos. And I think that gets people really excited about what we're building. That is exciting. And then they know
0: they're in the loop. So you're communicating well and it's on the cutting edge of innovation, which anybody who works in any tech enabled company wants to know that the team they're on is staying ahead. Definitely. well before we say goodbye is there anything else that you would like
1: to discuss that I haven't asked you about I feel like we've kind of like we have given it all like this is it's uh you know I hope that people can learn um from my story I never would have thought I would have built if you'd asked me Melissa are you gonna build a software company I would have said heck no like you know like to this people who are like can I go build a brand Yes, you can. Like, you can do anything. You have people to help you. You have your great training program. You've got, you know, like there's, there's a community to help people. So I hope that I'm an inspiration to say, I'm not going to get sickness. I'm not, that's not going to get me down. Um, I'm going to do something that I've never done before. Um, And, you know, it kind of is inertia. You just fall into it and, you know, we've been very successful doing it. So.
0: Yes, I love that. You just keep the momentum going and you ride the waves of life and you only really have to hit success one time, right? It's like you can fail, you can fail. You just push forward and you hit success. And thank you so much for joining. And if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you or your team, I'll put in the notes where to get in touch. But um, what do you prefer, like website or Instagram?
1: Yeah. Or LinkedIn. You can find me LinkedIn. You can find this on our website, Paffy.com. But, um, you know, DM, DM me on LinkedIn. Love to talk to you. Awesome. I love it.
0: Well, Melissa, we could talk for hours, but in essence, in respect for your time, huge thank you for coming on the Fearless Sellers podcast today. And until next time, stay fearless. If you're looking to get started selling on Amazon or maybe need some help with your current sales on Amazon, go to fearlesssellers.com. That's a lot of S's in there, fearlesssellers.com. Use coupon code FEARLESS for 50% off our next event. Thank you for listening to the Fearless Sellers, the Women of Amazon podcast. Until next time, stay fearless.